Thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. everybody. Welcome. Good morning. All right. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jaren Gallardo and I have the opportunity to share with you a message. Um, as you can tell by the uh, beginning video that we just had, we're going to be talking about the Apostles Creed. For those of anybody who wasn't here last week, uh, Pastor Ben spoke about uh, the first clause of the Apostles Creed, which was about God the Father. And today we'll be speaking about God the Son. Um, before we go any further, I want to take a moment to pray. I know we've done a lot of praying, but if you just bear with me, we're going to pray one more time and see God's face. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Father, for um, this establishment. We thank you, God, that you woke us up and put air in our lungs. We thank you that we were able to, to begin this morning with praise and worship towards you. And God, we just ask that you would ready our hearts to receive your message. Father God, I pray that you would increase and that I would decrease, that you would anoint my voice, this message, um, my posture, anoint everybody here, anoint the visual aids. God, just let us be open to receive from you. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, Amen church. Amen. 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 All right. Well, thank you again. Um, Pastor Ben is out of town. And um, last week, he spoke on like two stanzas of the Apostles' Creed, and he gave me the middle paragraph and said, all right, do this in one church service. <laughs> so he said it was okay to extend church service to 1230. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, but Kyle, do we have the Apostles' Creed on the whole thing? All right. Guys, just for those of you that don't know, I'm in the Air Force, and in the Air Force, a few years back, we've adopted our own creed. It's called the Airman's Creed. And when, what the creed is, it kind of aligns ourselves with uh, doctrinal beliefs and uh, the tenets of the Air Force. And so the Apostles' Creed is going to do the same thing. When we say that in the Air Force, we all stand to attention and, and we say, I am an American Airman, and we sh shout this at the top of our lungs. Um, I'm not going to ask us to shout it right now, but if we could all stand, if, if, you, want, if you want to, we're going to affirm something these next few weeks. And our affirmation, like what Pastor Ben spoke about last week, is a belief in something. And so as we're standing together, those of us who want to, we're affirming our belief in, in these things that are on the screen. So I'm going to lead, and if we could just say it together as a family. Ready? One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Church, you may be seated. All right. So, it wasn't until a few weeks back, I'm going to confession, I had not heard of the Apostles' Creed. I've heard of the Nicene Creed and, and different creeds that, that, the, that the church um, adopts this in their liturgy, but I've never heard the Apostles' Creed until a few weeks back. And so, for those of us, um, we're going to be on this journey over the next couple of weeks dissecting this. Um, last week, if you could recall Pastor Ben's message, he kind of said two things. First thing, he said, military personnel are essentially robots. <laughs> and we are. I can attest to that. Second thing he said was that he didn't like the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> I do like the Pledge of Allegiance. I remember in uh, Waianae Elementary in Hawaii, every morning we would say, Good morning, Miss Kodama. And then she would say, Good morning, class. And then we would all stand up. We would face the flag. And we'd say, I pledge allegiance to the flag. So I really remember that. It was like the highlight of our morning saying good morning to Miss Kodama. It was so funny. Um, but last week, Pastor Ben spoke about God the Father, and this week, I'll be speaking about God the Son. And we're going to get this in in one Sunday service, that whole paragraph. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, all right. Um, the uh, Apostles' Creed, just to give some background about it, um, depending on which sources you see, um, its origination is anywhere from 400 to 700 A.D., and the author is actually, or authors are actually unknown. Um, segments of the creed were found anywhere in Christian writings in the second century. The Apostles' Creed, it functioned in many different ways. One of the ways was for people who were going to be baptized, it was kind of their confession of faith that they would say before baptism. Um, another thing that a use of the Apostles' Creed is for religious instruction. They would pick out tenets from the creed and expound for religious instruction. And then the third thing is that it was used as a rule of faith if anybody kind of erred um, for heretical deviations or if there was heresy in the church, they would come back and look at the tenets of the Apostles' Creed to kind of line themselves up again. In the 7th century, the Western church actually adopted this creed as a part of its official liturgy. And we're definitely going to notice, if you didn't notice already, the Trinitarian nature that is clearly evident in this creed. And like I said last week, Pastor Ben spoke about God the Father, so this week we'll be speaking about God the Son. And I want us to be um, aware of the essential doctrinal beliefs of Christ's birth, of his suffering and of his death, of his resurrection, of his ascension, and also of his coming judgment. Are you guys ready? All right. Um, point number one is his birth. And that part of the creed is, just, just to back up, um, we're not going to be preaching the Apostles' Creed, but we're just using this, the Apostles' Creed, as a springboard to dive deeper into Scripture. Amen? Y'all ready? All right. Point number one, his birth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. If you open your Bibles or look on the screen, you'll notice that our, we're going to be in the Gospels a lot today. The Gospels were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, so we're going to use that as a tool as we look at the Apostles' Creed. 
So here in Luke 1.35, the angel says, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One will be, that will be born will be called the Son of God. So again, in the Apostles' Creed, we have that word believe. And Pastor Ben talked about last week how that word belief means that we're affirming our faith in something. So here again, we are affirming our faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Amen? Last week, um, he also talked about God the Father, but here we see that God the Son is born as the second person of the Godhead. He is born as a baby, so he's kept his deity as God, but he is born as a baby, therefore he's also fully human. And in this clause of the creed, we see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, always existed. He was, you know, the I am. Before Abraham was, I am, that was God. He was, Christ was there before. He wasn't created in this point of time. He always existed. So here, also, we're going to see that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that he was born of the Virgin Mary. God's messenger had the answer. God's messenger had the answer and it was in this special miracle of God that Christ was going to come on the scene so that his redemption plan would be would be birthed. It would, it would be now. This is, this is where it was going to come. The Messiah was here. But why Christ's birth? Why is this so significant? Why are we highlighting that? Why does it say that in the Apostles' Creed who was conceived by the Holy Spirit was born of the Virgin Mary? Why? And that's because it had to be a virgin birth. That virgin birth allowed Christ to be set apart and it allowed him to be set apart because he is God's seed in this womb. So, um, God the Son was different than all kinds of kings in Jerusalem. There were lots of earthly kings in Jerusalem, but God's Son would be the Son of David who is going to rule an eternal kingdom. And church, I just want you to be aware of two things this morning. We're going to be talking a lot about Christ's life. So if you are still seeking Christ, seeking salvation, I would pray that this message would open your eyes to a few things about the life of Christ and that at the end it would seriously cause you to ponder salvation if you have not received it already. The second thing is that if you've already received salvation, I want those of us who have received salvation to be free and not be bogged down by the law of man, but let us receive God's grace so that we could be free in Christ as our Savior. And not only to experience His freedom, but to share that with others. And we're going to get to that in a little bit later. Everybody say, God prepared the way for us. God prepared the way for us. He prepared the way so that we could know forgiveness of sins. And Christ's birth is great news. That's great news because, like I said, it put for plan in motion the plan for salvation. Without that, we would be dead in our sins. And death in sin means eternal separation from God. But that reconciliation couldn't have happened without Christ's horrific suffering and death. And we're going to talk about that now. So looking back to the Apostles' Creed, it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, 
He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, and died. So this is point number two, his suffering and death. If you look in Matthew 27, 1-2, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, it reads, When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And after tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So, we're going to be dissecting Matthew a little bit. In Matthew 27, 15 to 26, the time now is Passover. And during Passover, the Roman governor would release one person. And so he released a prisoner to the crowd. And Pilate is debating with the crowd, who should I release? Barabbas, the murderer, or Jesus? And what do they say? Release Barabbas. And they scream, crucify him crucify him, crucify him. And they're talking about Christ. They want Christ to be crucified. And Pilate is a little perplexed and he's talking, he takes Christ to the side and he says, I find no fault in you, what's going on? But Christ is proclaiming that he, the Jews know that he is proclaiming to be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah. And they thought that that was blasphemous. Further down in Matthew 27, verses 27 to 55, this is all about the passion of the Christ. The other gospel accounts talk about how Jesus, he was flogged. And flogged is more than just a whipping. It's more than just taking off a leather belt. And for Christ, it was the cat of nine tails that was in his back and it caused the flesh of Christ to be ripped off his skin, ripped off his bones. He was mocked. Christ was stripped naked and displayed before the crowd. He was humiliated for you and for me. They, they spit on him. They said, you're the king of kings. So they fashioned a crown of thorns and they pressed it in his head until his head was bleeding. They led him to the cross where they beat him some more. And then in Matthew 27, 27 to 55, we read that he is so weak that they make him carry his own cross. But he's so weak that he cannot. And Simon is forced to help Christ carry his own torture tool. He's led all the way to Calvary, where he finally makes it. And his, his hands are nailed. His feet is nailed. And when the cross is erected, Christ he's asphyxiated and gasping for air. That's what the crucifixion is. When you are erected like that, it causes you to gasp for air. And I know this is, this is gross to think about or horrific, but this is the passion of Christ that he would 
die for you and for me. He was suffering severe blood loss. His flesh is barely clinging to his body, probably dehydrated. And when he can no longer gasp for air on the cross, when Christ's body can no longer take the, suff the suffocation and the pain, he dies. But before that, he says, he says what words? He says, Dad, Dad, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And then he gives up the ghosts and dies. That was a painstaking six-hour ordeal. And just to make sure he's dead, the Roman soldier, what did he do? He pierced under Christ's ribcage with a spear, pierced his heart, and ensured that blood and water were pouring out to make sure that on the cross, Christ was dead. And normally during crucifixion, to speed up the suffocation process, because all you could do to breathe was, with that spike that was in your feet, was you could just push off it and gasp for a little air, and then you'd sink back down and suffocate. But the scripture says that they did not break the bones of Christ. And that actually fulfilled Psalms 34, 20, that no bone in his body would be broken. Christ's legs weren't broken like they normally would for other people on the crucifix. But why is this significant? Why is it significant that the Apostles' Creed says, suffered under Pontius Pilate? That's significant because Pontius Pilate was was the governor and he would make sure that things that he set forth would come to pass. He would ensure that those things that he set forth to do would be accomplished. And he was also the Roman ruler who would ensure death sentences. And so I've heard this illustration before but the cross is equivalent to today's modern day electric chair. And in that, the elect, think about that. The electric chair is only given for who? The guilty. Lethal injection is only given for the guilty parties. And Christ was guilty. He was guilty. And so they put him on the cross. That was the equivalent. The cross was equivalent to the electric chair or lethal injection. But he did that because he loves you and I. He lived a sinless life and it was only by his atoning blood on the cross that we could receive forgiveness for our sins. That was foreshadowed, if you're taking notes, in Isaiah 53, therefore fulfilling even more prophecy. We're going to find that in this morning's message there are little bits of scripture where Christ in the New Testament fulfilled prophecy in the Old and we don't have time to go over like a bunch of them, but wherever I thought that I could remember where it was, I, I pointed it out. So that suffering of Christ on the cross is foreshadowed from Isaiah 53. But all of us are guilty of Christ's execution. His blood is on my hands. His blood is on your hands. The execution of Christ was on our behalf. And denying guilt does not remove that. On the cross, think about this, on the cross, 
the Son of God was forsaken by the Father. And it's because of his death, burial, and resurrection that we have access, we have free access to salvation. Amen? We read here in Matthew 27, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, where he emptied himself completely to re redeem us from the consequence of sin. And this was a display of the ultimate of sacrifices. That he completely emptied himself for God's will and God's mission. Christ completely emptied himself for God's will and God's mission. And this is where I was thinking, okay, church, have we completely emptied ourselves for God's will and God's mission? If we're calling ourselves Christians, this is Christ's followers. Have we followed in the example of Christ that he was wholeheartedly in line with God's will and God's mission. Just, just a reflection. Are we following in his footsteps? And although the cross is very gloomy, it represents Christ's atoning blood and it reconciles us back to the Father. But this is where it gets good. The resurrection. Everybody say the resurrection. resurrection. This is where it gets good. All right. He says, looking back at the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and he was buried and he descended to hell. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. So point number three, his resurrection. If you look on the screen and turn your Bibles to Mark 16, 6 and 7, we're going to be looking at the angels and how they were speaking to the group of women who were coming to anoint the body of Jesus. So this is what it says in Mark. It says, don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. But he's been resurrected. He's not here. See the place where they put him? See it over there? But go and tell his disciples and tell Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee and you'll see him there just as he told you. So resurrection from the dead, that could sound so, so mysterious. But after his resurrection, Christ did some things. He stayed around 40 days and there were firsthand eyewitness accounts of Christ's resurrected body roaming around the city. He was found in the upper room. He was found with the disciples. He was found um, as he appeared to Peter. He was found by the sea. He was found breaking bread and eating fish with a group of people. So God, his resurrected body is found in so many places and there's eyewitness accounts of seeing Christ. And why that matters is because if, those, if he never resurrected and his body was still in the ground, then what? Then all of this would be irrelevant. Church on Sunday, the Christian faith, our belief in the Savior being resurrected, as it says in the Old and New Testament, it would be irrelevant. 
he wouldn't be fulfilling scripture as the Messiah. But he has, and that's good. Amen? All right. Here at the resurrection in Mark and also in the Gospels, the women, they were coming to anoint the body of Christ, but he wasn't there. And so what that taught, what that can teach us is that even in the darkest of circumstances, there is hope. That, that we believe that there's this bodily resurrection was where we could find that our sins were accounted for in Christ. Amen? No sin too great and no sin too small. Jesus was a sacrificial servant and he fulfilled his gospel mission by dying and then raising from the dead, but he didn't stop there because why? He empowers us as his disciples for all generations to go and tell this great news. He didn't just want it to be resurrected and then stop with the first century church. He wanted this to continue. He wanted us to tell the story of the resurrection power of salvation through Christ. And another thing that what happened on the cross was that all of sin, all of my sin, all of your sin was absorbed by Christ on the cross. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who knew no sin become sin so that we may be made righteous. So that we may be made righteous. If we look in the mirror, we don't see Jared, the failure, the unrighteous sinner. But we see in the mirror, Jared, saint, redeemed by the blood of Christ. And that's what it's about. The resurrection and his birth and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. That's, that's what it's about, guys. And that's what I just want this morning's message just to be focused so much on the gospel that we would clearly understand it so that we could articulate that to somebody else or have it impact our own lives. And to think about Christ's resurrection, I thought about this. Every morning, for those of you who know, I, I'm in the Air Force and I, I leave in the morning and my wife, Liz, holds it down. She holds it down in the house. She takes care of baby Kayla. She takes care of the house. She's going to school for, to study elementary education. But while I'm at work, she holds it down. And I'm gone in the Air Force, um, working at the hospital for sometimes 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours at a time. However, whatever the mission calls for, that's what we're going to accomplish. But I'm gone for however many hours. And my wife and child have not seen me all day. And then when I come home, I know that they're going to have the huge elated response and my little baby Kayla is going to be flapping her little penguin wings and making loud noises and, ah, ah. she starts saying all these weird babblings and screaming probably heard her in worship but but it's with that same response and they haven't they haven't seen me for 10 11 hours these first century disciples his disciples and these women haven't seen Christ for three days. So imagine that same response when you haven't seen somebody for a while. You get euphoric, you feel all elated. You're like, yeah, my boy, I just want to kick back, relax. Or, man, my homegirl, I haven't seen you in a minute. What's going on? Where you been? You just want to kick back, chill. You just want to 
talk stories and catch up. Well, imagine that that person is God. So now, now God comes back on the scene. He's like, hi guys, I'm back. Here's my scars. See that under my rib? It's, it's all healed now. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Get ready. Tell my story. Get ready. Tell my story. And it's with that same expectancy that we should be telling the story of Jesus. That, that these women and the disciples, they took the Great Commission and they ran with it. It wasn't just something that, that they read about or that they heard Jesus speak. Sometimes we could be so far removed from the situation that we just merely look at it as history. Like Pearl Harbor didn't affect me or World War II was something that I see in black and white. Didn't really affect me. I mean, yeah, we see some effects of it now in the structuring of some nations, but didn't really affect me. And it would look at that as history. And I'm guilty of this. Sometimes we can look at the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus as, oh, that's history. That's happened 2,000 plus years ago. It kind of affects me, but it's so far removed that we kind of remove the weightiness of that. I want us to draw our attention that the weightiness of that is relevant and it's here. Amen. Acts 1.9, it speaks about his physical, his bodily resurrection at the ascension. 1 Thessalonians 4 speaks about his physical body that will return. So this is leading us to point number four, his ascension. So if we look back at the Apostles' Creed, it says... I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and he was buried and he descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So if we look at the Gospel of Mark, in Mark 16, 19, it says, Then after speaking to them, the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. So the ascension of Jesus was predicted by himself in Mark 14, 7. He predicted that he would ascend. And it was eyewitnessed according to the apostles in Acts 1, 9. We also see that in Acts 2.33, the early church taught that Jesus was now sitting at the right hand of God. And we're going to look at that because right now, Christ is our high priest. He's our advocate. And the description of Jesus Christ at the right hand of God implies one of honor and authority. It applies his honor and authority. All of this points to Christ's deity. Remember we talked about at his birth? He was fully God, yet he was fully human. This still points to Christ's deity, being at the right hand of God. He is co-equal within the Godhead, equal in power and equal in authority. And Jesus' ascension, it marked the completion of his earthly ministry and then the beginning of what? The beginning of his heavenly ministry. So, looking at this, um, right hand of the Father. I also wanted to point out one other thing that the fact that he was sitting 
The Apostles' Creed says that he is seated at the right hand of God. It means that the Son of God, as it was told in the scripture, he made his enemies his footstool. Christ is seated at the throne, now he's sitting, and he made his enemies his footstool. There is nothing that the devil can do to untie our access, our free access to salvation. There's nothing that the devil can do to un unwind that. It's done. Amen? Amen. 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 And so, there's going to be a day in which he'll return, and we're going to talk about that later. But I want us to focus on this. Everybody say, position determines authority. Position determines authority. Alright, so in the military, we have different customs and different courtesies that we follow. And we do these things to honor rank, to, to honor the chain of command. In the military, one of these customs and courtesies that we do is that the more senior person sits, rides, stands, walks to the right. The junior person is to the left of the more senior person. When you're walking, when you're sitting, when you're in a car, when um, in, in, in every aspect. And we do that to honor the person that's an authority, to honor the more higher ranking individual. We put them to the right. And so we see in Scripture that the ascension of God, at the ascension, God the Father takes God the Son and places Him at the position of honor, where He will rule and reign for eternity forever and ever. Therefore, that's why we said, position determines authority. Amen? Um, I've, kind of, I've kind of alluded to this already, but the fifth and final nugget that I want us to pull out of the Apostles' Creed is His coming judgment. So for looking back at the Apostles' Creed, it reads, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell, the third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. So point number five, his coming judgment. And to expound on this a little bit more, we're going to be looking at what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. So if you turn to 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 3, or look on the screen, here Paul says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether it's convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. So if we look at what Paul was telling Timothy, he, he said, hey, Christ is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And I, all these things that I, I'm telling you, I want you to, to encourage, I want you to correct heresy, and I want you to preach sound doctrine. So along with 
the certainty of death, most Orthodox Christians do not deny, few argue with, the second coming of Christ. And in his second coming, God will judge everyone who has not acted righteously. And thank God that that act of righteousness for us is belief in God the Son for salvation. That's all it is. It's not how many church services we've came to on Sunday, how many times we've prayed a prayer. It is belief in God the Son for salvation. And I'll admit, I was guilty of a works-based mentality growing up for a while, like, I gotta be, I gotta do this, or I gotta get to this standard, or I gotta say, you know, so many prayers, or I gotta be this, or I gotta do that. And it was becoming a works-based mentality, and it wasn't healthy. That's why I was speaking to the second camp of anybody who's already experienced Christ for salvation. Just want you to know that you could be free in Christ's salvation and it's finished work at the cross. It's finished work. It's done. Everybody say done. 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 There's nothing else that we have to add to or take away from. Christ paid it all. He paid it all. And if Christ was not in that equation, then I would stand before him guilty. But because God sees Christ's blood shed for my body, shed for my sins, then I have Gallardo guiltless written over me because of Christ. Amen. Um, I pray that the second coming, people, we, we think about the second coming and we, we get all, we go, ooh, second coming. And, and some of us, it may cause us even to worry like, I haven't done this earthly thing yet. God, I'm not married yet. Or I wanted to have more babies. Or just let me, hold on. You can't come back yet. I want to graduate college first. Or wait, my retirement account. I didn't get a chance to go to Tahiti. It's like we have all these plans. And sometimes we try and put God on hold so that we can accomplish an earthly thing. But I wanted to tell you that His return for the redeemed is going to be a great thing. It's going to be a great thing. This is our glorious hope. This is our glorious hope. This brings hope in hopeless situations. Amen? Titus 2, 11 to 13, it says this. It says, For the grace God, for the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Paul's telling Titus here, hey, you need to wait for the blessed hope, and that blessed hope is in the soon return, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? And so... Scripture also says what we see there in Titus and in other parts, that salvation is for who? It's for everyone. It's not for the Jew, or it's not just for people who come to Luminous Church, or it's not just for people who are plugged into a community group, but salvation is for everyone. And we really, we really need to grasp that. that I was thinking about this. Okay, God, like I'm preparing for this message. Okay, God, like, imagine the worst of the worst 
ISIS person over there right now. Salvation is for everyone. Is that there's no sin too great or too small. Like, how is that? Like, the worst of the worst ISIS commander, as much as I'm in the military and we're, you know, we fight against terrorism, the worst of the worst individual, salvation is for everyone. Amen? Um, Christ's coming back as a judge should cause us to pause and consider Christ for the moment. And the events that we learned today, like I said, do we treat that as mere history? Christ's death and, and gruesome death on the cross, his resurrection, do we treat that as mere history? Or do we grasp onto the weightiness of that? I urge us all to grasp onto the weightiness of that. Make Christ real and relevant in our lives today. I'm going to bring it in for a close. Here and we're going to recap some things. I, as I said in the beginning, I wanted us to, to be aware of some essential doctrinal truths. And those were Christ's birth, his virgin birth. I wanted us to be aware of his death and his suffering, of his resurrection, that the tomb is empty. I wanted us to be aware of his ascension, his power and authority. And I wanted us to be aware that there's coming a day where he's coming to judge the living and the dead. His coming judgment. If you guys could stand, I'm going to bring us to a close here. I just want us all to know that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. And salvation is found in no other. It's only for us who accept him as Lord and Savior that we can come to Christ and we can read Ben Chapman, guiltless, paid for by the blood of Jesus. Paid for by the blood of Jesus. And as I was preparing for this message, guys, man, you should have seen snot bubbles and tears when I'm trying to write down the passion of the Christ and I'm thinking about Christ's flesh ripped off of his skin. I'm thinking about his dry lips and their stuffed vinegar for him to give him something to eat. I think about him being, when it says he descended to hell, hell is a place where it is eternal separation from God. And so on the cross, Christ said, God, you've forsaken me. And I don't understand how he was co-equal in the Trinity, yet at that moment in time, God the Father turned his back on Christ, allowed this suffering to happen, and Christ paid the penalty for our sin. But thank God for his death, his burial, and his what? His resurrection, that the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty, guys. And so I wanted us to be aware of some things. One thing is that the population of San Antonio is something around 1.4 plus million people. And I forgot how many atheists or agnostics are here, but from what I did research, national average is around 15%. So if we do 15% times 1.4 million, that's over 200,000 people just in this city alone who don't know or don't know if they believe in God. That's just the atheists and agnostics alone. 
Luminous is what, 120 people on a Sunday service? Don't you think we have room for the ISIS commander? Don't you think we have room for the person downtown? Don't you think we have room for your coworker, for your cousin? Think about the mission and vision of Luminous. Our vision, what we do as a church is we want everyone to see Jesus clearly. So I pray that this message, hopefully, that you saw Jesus clearly. But not just saw him as something that happened in history. That's good because it checks the box to show that these eyewitness accounts affirm Christ and that he was a real person who really suffered. The tomb was really empty. His resurrected body was really found. But I want us to be aware of, of this church's vision is seeing Jesus clearly. And hopefully we did this morning. And hopefully that you saw him so much this morning that you would go and tell somebody else. Because what's our mission? That we exist to release our time, our talent, and our treasure to reach the campus, the community, and the world with the light of Jesus Christ. The first century disciples ran with the Great Commission. The women, after they saw the resurrected body, or after they saw the tomb was empty, they ran with the Great Commission. And it's J. Tom's heart, it's Pastor Ben's heart, it's the Ignite team's heart, it's everybody's heart that, that we would run with the Great Commission, that we would run with the mission that we have as Luminous Church to reach our campus, to reach our community, and to reach the world with the light of Jesus Christ. We know what that is now. I, I said in the beginning of this message, if you were that person who didn't know anything about Christ, you were seeking, you came on Sunday because your friend invited you, Hopefully you know Christ now. We're going to have prayer workers after service. Hopefully you connect with them and say, Hey, how can I know Christ as that guy was talking about as Savior of my life? And if you're in the second camp, I would urge you to be free from a works-based mentality. Not continue in sin, though. Paul says, no way, not continue in sin. However, but be free from a works-based mentality. Find freedom in Christ Jesus this morning. And really, if you're going to call Luminous home, run with the vision and the mission that J. Tom and Ben have set forth for the church, seeing Jesus clearly reach the campus community in the world. Can we do that, church? All right, guys, let's pray. Mighty God and Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for what you did in allowing your son to become sin so that we may be made righteous. God, that, that's crazy to us. That's crazy that, that God the son would be put on the cross, humiliated and shamed. The king of kings died in our place. That's crazy. But it happened and we are so so thankful. God, may we be a people that every day on our lips, may we just give you praise and we may, maybe we be so thankworthy that, that we can't even contain it for ourselves, that we would tell our mom and our dad, that we would tell our cousin and our neighbor, that we would tell our co-workers and our friends about the love of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for Luminous Church. Father God, we just pray that this with this Apostles' Creed, God, that you would charge us you would charge us to run with the Great Commission to tell others 
about the life of your son, Jesus Christ. God, may you burden all of us this morning. I mean that. Holy Spirit, may you burden all of us this morning to tell others about your son's grace, mercy, his love, and his resurrection power of his atoning blood. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I speak against any spirit of timidity right now in this room. God, may we get out of our comfort zone. We are a luminous church. We are a light, a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. God, there's over 200 atheists or agnostics here in San Antonio, God, and you can use the 125 in the room just to reach someone. Father, I pray that you would reach us and use us right now. Break us right now, God. Mold us right now, God. Let us take your message of Jesus' birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming judgment to tell the world, shout it on the rooftops, that we have salvation in you, Jesus. Help us, oh God. Help us, help us to see others as you would. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty and precious and holy name. Thank you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive prayer, guys. Receive prayer. Come up. Come up. You're dismissed in Jesus' mighty name. Go and tell somebody. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To find out more about service times, giving, and community groups that meet throughout the week, please visit us online at luminouschurch.org.